I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today, I interview Nate Chatelier, an entrepreneur and former evangelist who lives with his wife, Megan, and their kids in Spokane, Washington. Nate has started multiple board game and video game companies and runs them concurrently. He's a strong disciple and family man, and will share today what's helped him develop his companies and his walk with God. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no-regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I started this podcast at the beginning of the COVID pandemic in an effort to inspire people to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I wanted to learn from others and share what I've learned over the years. God has enabled me and my wife, Pam, to plant churches in Portland, Oregon, Anchorage, Alaska, Ashland, Oregon, Tucson, Arizona, and most recently in Flagstaff, Arizona. My dream is to plant at least five more churches by the year 2030. Our first planting is in Saurita and Green Valley, Arizona. Saurita is one of the fastest growing cities in Arizona, and we hope to plant that church in the fall of 2023. Your tax-deductible gift will help get that church off the ground. Please give today at tucsonchurchofchrist.org. Look for the Donate tab, and then choose the General Fund when giving. Thank you. Nate, welcome to the program. So glad to be here. Sorry I was so difficult to nail that, Rob. Well, you've got a few things going on <laughs> in your life. You gave, <laughs> me a list, a gave me a list about seven things that are happening all at once in your life. It's I'm just thankful that you made the time. I, I shared this before the program, but we, we knew each other back in, you know, when I was in the Northwest up in Oregon and, and Washington, and I just remember you just being a, a just a bundle of energy, just always doing stuff. And, and I'm really, really happy that you can make the time because your path is so interesting and singular. I don't know many people who are doing what you're doing. So let's get right into it here. And, ask, and let me ask you this question. How'd you become a Christian? Uh, growing up, my dad led these Bible discussion things at our house. And to be honest, um, it turned me away from God. Because I felt like what he was teaching in our house was not what he was living. And the, the hypocrisy just made me feel like this is not real. This is fake. And then, unfortunately, my parents ended up both committing affairs on each other. My mom ended up uh, attempting suicide. And she got uh, she was in a mental institute for a while. And it just all of this really pushed me away from God. I thought, I don't want to have anything to do with him. And that didn't really change until I was about 16. And a, a cute girl invited me to youth group. And I said, OK, I'll go. Uh, and but while I was there, I started to realize, you know, maybe the problem wasn't God. It was it was, you know, my dad and my home. And so that started to open my heart up to it. And then I thought I, I started to give myself more and more to God. Unfortunately, I kept I, I couldn't stop living a sinful life myself. And so I think the more I did that, the more I thought I'm going to be just like him and I don't want to. And so I ended up leaving and thought this is not for me because I'm incapable, not because I didn't believe at that point. I just thought I'm incapable of doing this. And. Then a couple of years later, 
I met Craig Welbrock uh, on uh, in Bellevue College, and he had this table, and he said, "Hey, come on out to this, uh, you know, retreat that they were having for the campus." And so I was scared. I was actually quite scared, um, but I went up and I said, "I want to go." And we changed phone numbers, and then he kept calling me, and I kept living a sinful life, and I, I felt too ashamed. I thought, who am I kidding? I can't do this. So I, I didn't return his calls afterwards. <laughs> and then three months later, Jen Anderson, uh, it was Jen Bruner at the time, uh, happened to be in a class with me, a botany class, and we found out we went to the same high school. We had like pictures in our yearbook together. We were on the track team together, all this stuff, but somehow never knew each other, which is just crazy. But we're sitting right here and she's telling me about going to this church and studying the Bible and all this stuff. And she said, you should come out, you know, sometime to this, this Bible talk. And so I'm all excited about this new friend and I go out to the Bible talk and the door opens and it's Craig. And I think, oh my gosh, he's going to be like, this is the, the idiot that never called me back or anything. And so I was really afraid to meet him. Uh, but he, he just said, hey, I'm Craig, what's your name? He'd forgotten all about me. And I was very grateful. God was maybe <laughs> merciful for that. Uh, and so we started studying the Bible and it wasn't actually until, uh, the sin study that I, I told him I, I knew him before oh my and the gosh. whole study. And, uh, it was a great ride. Wow. Okay. What year was that? It was, uh, August of 2000. I got baptized. Okay. So coming up on 20, 23 years. Yeah. So you were raised in, in the wash, uh, the Seattle area. Uh, no, California, actually about an hour outside of LA, a little town called Santa Paula. Okay, so you went but went to college up in Washington. Yeah, when my parents divorced when they were when I was ten, my dad um, was unfortunately uh, already with another woman, and she was from Washington, and her family lived up here, and it was a very nasty divorce, um, and so we ended up moving in um, with with my now stepmom's parents, um, who happened to live here in Washington. And, uh, I was very, very mad at my dad for leaving for a number of reasons, but forcing me to leave my friends and everything I loved about California. In hindsight, I'm actually quite grateful <laughs> to have left, but I wasn't at the time. Wow. Okay. So how did you and Megan meet and get married? So we got, uh, I was part of the Bellevue College campus ministry, and she was part of the Tacoma campus ministry in Washington. And we were both trying, we were both small campus ministries. We were trying to reach out to UW and we were sort of the, like, they had their big things going on and we were kind of the smaller, you know, side church thing. And we were, we were not getting good inroads with them and I don't blame them. They had a lot, you know, happening. So we decided, well, what if Bellevue and Tacoma uh, start really building together? And it was about a 45 minute drive or so between us. And all the girls one time invited all of the guys on this big group date. It was a six couple date. And we didn't know them that well yet. And my date was not Megan. I had never met Megan before, but she invited me out to this date and she's, I print out MapQuest, you know, <laughs> to go to there. And she says, hey, if you get lost, call this number. And so I do end up getting lost and I call the number and she tells me it's at Megan's house and, you know, Me Megan can help me out. So she answers the phone. She says, hi, this is Megan. And I'm like, this is Nate. And she says, Nate who? And I just expected her to know who I was. I'm on my way to her house right now. And I don't know what compelled me to do this, but the next day was Super Bowl Sunday. And I said, oh, you don't remember? You you, you met me on campus. You invited me out to the, the Super Bowl party at your house. <laughs> don't know why I did this. Um, I thought it was pretty funny. She did not think it was very funny. <laughs> at all. Um, so I was, uh, I started with a bad first impression, unfortunately, in our relationship. But, uh, when I arrived at her house, um, she, you know, the, she was serving everybody. She's putting food on everybody's plates. It was awesome. And the girls just did an amazing job on this. And uh, I asked Megan, who made all this food? 
And she said, oh, you know, all of us sisters did everything together. And then I'm sitting with my date and she said, I, like, this food is delicious. And she said, oh, Megan did everything. She did all the cooking, planning, organization, everything. And wow. so I felt like she already was instantly attractive to me physically. And then she got humility. And then the, as the night went on, she had great dance moves, <laughs> which corresponds in my book. And she clearly loved God. And so I was uh, trying really hard not to be thinking about her all night. I just made this commitment to God that I was not, I, I sort of had chased a lot of women in my history. Um, mm -hmm. And so I made this commitment to God that I wasn't going to do that anymore. And, and then I met Megan. So I prayed for 30 days. God, I'm not going to pursue anything with Megan uh, unless you, I feel like you're, you want me to. So my plan was I take her on one date. If she asked me out on a return date in 30 days, then I would feel like God was, was opening the door. If she did not, that was it. And I wasn't going to try and connive for scheme or anything else. And we hardly saw each other living as far apart. And on day 28, I was having a prayer that morning. And I get this phone call after church as I'm putting away the tech equipment and it's from Megan and my heart's like pounding. I'm so excited. And I answer the phone and I try to act really suave, you know, oh, hi, Megan. How's it going? <laughs> uh, she not only invites me on a date, but invites me to uh, her formal homecoming dance at her college. And I felt like this was my green light. There's a lot wow. more hurdles she maybe jumped through, but here we are today. What an awesome story. Love, I love stories like that. It's fantastic. So what year did you guys get married? Uh, we, let's see, we came in the mission team to Spokane in 2002. We got married in 2003. 2000. Oh, so you're on the, you were on the mission team to Spokane. We oh, were. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Boy, we got a lot going on here. Okay. Do you mind if I ask how old you are? Uh, 41. You're 41. Just so 41 born in 84. 82. 82. Okay. Okay, so let's, if you could just give me just the 30,000 foot overview of your career since you graduated from college, and we're going to dig deeper into what you've done, but just where you've, where you've gone to and when sure. timelines, that would be helpful. Um, yeah, so I graduated high school in 2000. I did running start. So I did um, two years of college instead of high school. And so I actually got my associate's degree and then I got my high school diploma right afterwards. Um, then I went to Eastern Washington University, go Eags, uh, and I got a degree in computer science and a minor in mathematics there. Um, I spent two years distractedly uh, pursuing a degree in theater and dance, actually. <laughs> uh, and I did it because I had heard at the time UW would uh, give full-ride scholarships to male dancers because there were so few of them, maybe for good reason. <laughs> uh, I ended up changing that. However, I, I did... This is a whole nother long story I'll spare you from, but I, I got a full ride um, to go to Eastern by becoming the mascot out there. And so that was my first entrepreneurship journey was convincing them to do that. And uh, that theater and dance degree, or, well, not degree, but that time did end up paying off. Then I started in the casino industry, uh, digital casino industry. So I was making electronic poker tables for a while. Um, I didn't like that industry for a variety of reasons. Uh, although I spent more, maybe more than I should have five years there. Then I went to a company called 7-2, and for seven years, I made kids games for uh, Disney, Nickelodeon, and Pixar video games. Um, and then I started my many businesses. Okay. So that, that, that leads us right up to where you're at now. Now, at one time, you were a self-supporting evangelist. Okay, how did that come about? Tell me about the path to becoming an evangelist. 
Yeah, when we so when we came on the mission team, Mark and Annie McCune were leading it, and they did a phenomenal job. I mean, they really did a, an amazing job. They were here for I don't know maybe five years or so, and then they left, and Jermaine and Stephanie Peacock joined, and they were here for maybe five years, and then they um, at our ten year anniversary, I was appointed an evangelist, and they ended up unfortunately leaving Spokane very shortly after that, semi-abruptly. Um, there were some things happening with their kids and their family, and they felt like they needed a bigger church than we were to support them. And so they moved to California. And that sort of, because it was kind of abrupt, it, it led us a little bit of a lurch, um, trying to find somebody to replace them. And so I just said, I'll, I'll leave the church, you know, in the interim. And so I led it for a year. And uh, yeah, that's how it all came up. Okay, so you led Spokane for a year from 2013 to 2014. Is that what we're talking about? I think maybe 2012 to 2013, I think. Okay, while you're getting all these companies started. Is that, is that right? Well, I hadn't yet started my companies. Um, I was still working full-time as a software engineer, and I had, a, I think, three-year-old and one-year-old at the time, uh, but I hadn't yet started my companies. Oh, my gosh, so you were busy. Okay, that's a very busy time of life. Yeah. Now, do you still consider yourself an evangelist now, or what? What What's happened since that time? Yeah, it, that word's really interesting. I mean, you know, I've done a lot of study on it um, since then, and it's. I, I feel like there's some ambiguity on exactly what that word means, frankly. Um, but I feel so. You know, is am I a, a full time evangelist? No, I am not. Uh, do I feel like I have? The heart of an evangelist and i want to work full-time ministry always everywhere i go absolutely mm, i do that's awesome okay so you you made a transition from paid employment into into startups full-time now, I did. You're, yeah. you're you're no longer a salaried worker you're a entrepreneur this is super interesting to me and i there's a there's a part of me in church planting and um, that's very entrepreneurial. And it's one thing I really love yeah. about it. Even I, I shared about this when we planted the church in Ashland, Oregon, and I sold real estate, really loved it. There's just starting something new is so refreshing and challenging. It is. Um, yeah. But why'd you make that transition? Why'd you go from being um, a W2 worker to, to starting your own companies? So in, boy, this was six years ago, I got laid off. And it was the second time in my life I had gotten laid off. And I love being at this company. And I am a game designer and software engineer by trade. And so there's three companies that do that in Spokane. I had, uh, both of them had closed their doors on, on games. And the third company had cyclical layoffs and they weren't hiring. So our options were either to move our whole family or for me to start my own gig. And I had been sort of thinking about this for a long time, but the truth is I didn't have the courage to do it. And it was, it was scary, you know, especially having a family. and. So when I got laid off, I told my wife, Megan, we love, love, love Spokane. I mean, really love it. And we, we did not want to go. So I said, well, here's our options. I can spend all of our life savings. We have, we have six months of income saved up. So I had some runway. We'd worked very hard on that. And I could go through all of it and try and make a business work. Uh, and if it works, we get to stay in Spokane. And if it doesn't work, we relocate. And I know I can get a job easily in a bigger city, um, but we did not want to leave. So... Uh, that's what happened to hedge our bets. I ended up starting two companies at the same time. And I thought I'm going to work 40 hours in both of them for oh six months. Gosh. And that way, if, if one of them works, then we get a stay. But the, the thought of blowing all six months of our life savings and then having nothing to show for it at the end was just terrifying to me. So I told Megan, pretend I'm, you know, on a, a, a military, like I'm gone for six months. You're not going to see me um, while I try to do this. 
and my amazing sporting wife agreed. And that's how it started. Wow. You started two companies at once, devoting 40 hours to each one of them. So you're working 80 plus hours, probably more than that to a combination of both. Okay. Can you talk about what businesses those were? Yeah. So one of them was a board game. It was called Dice Throne. And uh, how that came to be actually, when we had the layoffs, it was me and another brother, Manny Trimbley, who I had helped get the job at Seven Sioux. And we were, we were part of the layoffs together. There were 18 people totally uh, in total laid off. And we had once a week, we'd go on a prayer walk together from the office, from work. We'd just go on a prayer walk. And a lot of times on the way back, we'd, we'd scheme and dream about, you know, making a video game together, just us, you know, on the side. And so we had been thinking about this for a while. And then when we got laid off, I, I was like, let's, let's do this. Let's make it happen right now. We're both laid off, you know. And I had visited a friend in Seattle who had a similar entrepreneurship journey in indie game development. And he just shared a story with me where he said, man, in, in the mobile game world, the problem is not making a good game. It's making a good game that is discovered. It's very, very saturated in that world. And you won't be successful if you have the best game in the world unless you have a plan for discovery. And he said, Nate, you're used to working with Disney and Pixar, but guess what? You are not them. <laughs> and we didn't have a good plan for discovery. And so we, I came back kind of discouraged um, and especially jobless and trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And we'd always thought, okay, someday we'll make this into a board game, but we knew nothing at all about that space other than as a consumer. And so that night as I couldn't sleep, I got up at one in the morning. I thought I'm going to make this a board game right now because discoverability is much easier in that space. And so I stayed up all night. I rejiggered the game into a board game. I called Manny at 9 a.m. in the morning. I said, come over right now. I got to show you something. And he came over. We played the first edition of Dice Drum. And now six years later, um, it's a multi-million dollar enterprise um, that has continued to do well. That's amazing. Okay. So it started as an idea between you and Manny. Is that right? Or you're, it did. Yes. Okay. And you guys said, Hey, this would be cool as a video game. Yeah. So the, the, I'm a game designer. So I do, and Manny's an illustrator and, and graphic designer and world builder. Um, it. So it was kind of a perfect team. Um, so yeah, I pitched the idea. He said, I'll make the art. Um, and that's what happened. Wow. That's now, are you guys still partners? You guys still work together? We are. Yes. Okay. Still in business. That's fantastic. And then you said you had two companies that you started. What was the other one? The other one was called Nerd Ninjas. And this was a, the space I knew much better. It was a mobile video game company. And I had um, tried this, this sales pitch with a bunch of different places. Remote work was not common back then. And again, my whole mission was to not leave Spokane. So I had applied for a number of game development jobs that I was definitely qualified for. I had, a, I did have a good portfolio and resume at that point. Um, what I, what I didn't have was a willingness to move to where they wanted me to be for these jobs. So I would apply for these jobs knowing that they're not offering a remote job. I would try My goal was I'm going to make them really like me at the end of the interview when they said, you know, Hey, what's your, your salary requirements. Then my pitch would be, well, if I have to move to that city, I need relocation expenses and I need this high salary, frankly. But if you'll let me stay in Spokane, I don't need relocation expenses and I'll take a very low salary, way below market um, value because it's so important for me to stay here. And you can try me out. There's no risk to you. If this doesn't work out, you know, we'll, we'll step away. And nobody was biting on that sales pitch uh, until I think we were four months in. And this one company sort of did. They're called Niantic. They're the ones that created Pokemon Go. Um, big, huge company. And they called me back afterwards and they said, look, we're, we're not going to let you work remote. Um, however, 
I think we do have a job for you. It's not the one you applied for, though. We'd like for you to spend six months coming up with a game design for a game, one man prototyping this out, and then we'll decide from your prototype, do we actually spend a substantial amount of money and make this a full-blown product, or, or do we kill the idea? And so I said, yes, I'll take it. And I didn't know what the brand was at all. They wouldn't <laughs> tell me. And it ended up being a board game called Settlers of Catan, which I, I'm quite a fan of. So it was great. Settlers of Catan? Yes. Very good game. Okay. Wait a second. So that, but that game, okay. So you were there to make the video game version of an established board game. Is that right? Yeah, so they so Niantic specifically makes what are called geospatial games. So it's when I'm playing the game, where I go in the real world, it uses my GPS and it changes what's happening in the game. So this board game, Catan, which is a very popular board game, the concept was what if instead of playing Catan on a kitchen table, we wrap the board around planet Earth, literally. And where I go around the Earth is a different part of the board game. And the games are seasonality. So a single game lasts a month. And you're playing in teams with lots of different people around planet Earth, and you're all trying to score points for your team. Uh, and at the end of the month, one of the, the teams will win. Um, that was the concept I had pitched, and they accepted it. And that's what started it from just me being a one-man show to starting their ninjas, which now has 38 employees. Wow. Okay. That's that's so cool. So, but but you're you're essentially in a you you're like a contractor for Niantic. You had your own company, but you're essentially like selling them a product from your own company. That's exactly how it all started. Um, and I thought that that business would sort of always be me offering game development services to other companies. Uh, I'd never actually quite had the dream uh, at that point that it would become what it is today, that it's, it's not just me. Um, it's a full-blown studio and still doing the same thing, offering our services to many other companies. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about how that's expanded. I know you have many more companies as well. Can you just give us an overview of the other companies you've started? I know that's a lot of, a lot of stuff there, but. Sure, yeah, we started, um, so those both started, what, six and a half years ago. Um, I'm the, so I'm the CEO of both of those. I'm the sole owner of Nerd Ninjas. I'm one of three partners now in Dice Room. Manny Tremblay's one, and then we brought on a third partner, Gavin Brown. Um, outside of that, uh, I have another company called Op Digital, which started about a year and a half ago. That was a, a venture start with three different investors. And the goal was to take a number of different popular board games and bring them into the digital world, uh, not in a geo way, but just in a, in a digital way. Um, so I'm the CEO of that company. However, it's kind of a, I just finagled a It's basically a shell company that hires their ninjas to do all of this work. Um, and so I'm happy with how that's going so far. Uh, there's another company called Stimags, and we make these, they're called stimulating magnets, um, but they're for actually ADHD uh, professionally working adults. And there are these magnets that are really satisfying to play with. And I, I, I do it every single day when I'm on calls and they help me stay focused when my mind is racing and all, all kinds of other things. So I'm an advisor in that company. Um, I taught a entrepreneurship course at Gonzaga University. And I met one of the students afterwards and he came up and he was asking me about, I've run many Kickstarters and done quite well in that space. So he was asking me about Kickstarters and the more we talked and then he told me what his product was and I, I got to touch his first prototype. And I was like, I, you know, how can I be a part of this? I just absolutely love this product. And um, so now it's been a year and a half and that product is doing well. Um, and then lastly, um, I started a company that is more for, for my soul, I think. I, I live on a lake now in this rural town of Medical Lake. And I, I'm such a go, go, go person. I didn't realize 
how much the water calms my soul down in a very healthy way. I absolutely love it. I just find God in the water. And I love wakeboarding and wake surfing. I, I didn't know this either, but I discovered that I do. So I started a company called Silver Lake School of Wake. And I uh, will it actually will open its doors this summer. <laughs> and I'll teach people twice a week how to uh, wakeboard and wake surf. I'm going to hire my son. Uh, he's going to help me out in this little business. And uh, I hope it's a great way to meet people too. I've already been sharing my faith with a lot of people on the lake. And one guy has been coming to church actually regularly from that. So I hope it's, it hits multiple doors. That's amazing. So how many companies do you count that being? That's five companies. Wow. Okay. And just with your spare time, just start a wakeboarding company. <laughs> uh, that was less about money and more about evangelism and my soul. But yes, that's right. That, that is awesome. Okay. When you look back at all the different companies that you've started, different things you've done, what are you most proud of? Uh, yeah, good question. I, I think my employees know that I'm a Christian and that's not necessarily a popular thing, especially in tech in today's world. Always. Um, I definitely don't hide that from them, but I don't want to, neither do I rub it in their face. And I think my goal, what was it? Uh, Francis of Assisi who said, you know, it's no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. Wow. And I just, that quote just really stuck with me. And I thought I'm going to share my faith with all my staff without needing to talk about it. Um, and so the way I run my companies, I'm, I'm very, very proud of that. Actually, I, I have this thing I call golden rule leadership. And the idea was if I were to work for my dream company, why would it be my dream company? And, and I wrote a list of 10 things and I share that with my staff. We, we do retreats twice a year. Uh, I fly all of my staff into Spokane together. We do these really fun weekend retreats. And during that, the winter retreat every year, we read that list point by point. And I ask, you know, am I doing that? Are we doing that? Is this happening here? And I want this to be a dream company for you. And if it's not, then then I want to change something. And um, so far it's gone really well. The last retreat we had, it was really cool. We I was driving back from a location and I had one of my employees and um, his, they're allowed to bring the significant others with them. And so they were in the, in the van with me and we're having a deep conversation. And uh, he starts opening up in unique ways to me. And when we get to our house, he pulls me aside and he says, hey, Nate, can you mentor me in life? He said, I just see the way you live your life. You run your companies. I see your marriage and I want what you have. Can you mentor me? And that was the open door for me to just share my faith and tell wow. my testimony and um, so that's what I'm most proud of is that I can preach without preaching. That's amazing. Okay. I just got a couple add on questions there that, that pop up. Did, did the example of your dad and your mom have anything to do with your desire to, to set that kind of an example? Yeah, I did. I, I think, um, I had a really hard childhood and it, it, this feels strange to say it. I, I would never wish this upon anyone, but in retrospect, I'm very grateful for that because it, it made it quite clear to me who I don't want to be and, and what is important and how authenticity is very high in my book um, on the scale of importance. And um, so, yeah, it had a lot to do with my staff. They know everything that's happened in the company at all times. I don't hide anything from them, even scary stuff. Even when we've been on the verge of layoffs, which I've never had to this day, and I care a lot about that, but how I manage that, I feel like is very Christ-like and, and they see it. And a lot of it is driven by seeing what I don't want to be um, from my childhood. Wow. Do you have a few of the the list of the 10 things that are on your your golden list that you could share? Sure, yeah. Um, one of them is radical candor. So as I just mentioned, they they know everything. People, when I hire some new people, they, I tell them that in the interview, and they always say, 
I, even though you told me that, I'm surprised at how real that is. Um, I mean, I, I tell them everything. And what I'm trying to do is just build transparency and trust, um, especially in a, we're a distributed studio. And it's hard to build that in a distributed studio. And, and so I think that matters a lot to all of them. Distributed Another studio? One is, uh, yeah, that means that we don't have a physical office. Um, so my 38 employees are scattered throughout the U.S., actually one in Canada and one recently moved to Portugal. My, my rule is they can live anywhere in the world they want, but you'll work specific hours at this company. And as long as we're all in the same time zone working remote, then it runs smooth. Um, that's what we do. So that was a, a big thing to me. Another one is that my voice will matter. And I felt like a lot of companies, you know, nobody, nobody really cared um, what I said down in the trenches. And I thought I'm not doing that to my staff, their voice will matter. And I have a very open door with them and, and it does matter. And, I don't, that doesn't mean that I obey, but I listen and I'll consider and we'll have a conversation. And it's a very, very safe place for my staff to be and to say, and to feel like this is my company too. I'm a part of it. Uh, and that's getting harder with 38 people. So we're going to probably slow our growth here soon. <laughs> um, but I will say uh, the last retreat we had, I mean, everybody there, well, I don't want to, too many people said, this is the best company I've ever worked for. I absolutely love it. And I'm not taking the credit for that. I'm just trying to be Christ-like and they're, they're seeing that. In the wow. Company. That's amazing. That's fantastic. Okay. So you've got 38 people. So it's, it's, it's kind of like you're on church there. You've got your, you've got your people you take. I, I have to, I always think in church terms, but that's, that's I love impressive. It. Okay. So what, what special talent does it take to start your own business. I'm sure that there's people listening up, oh, boy, that'd be really cool. You know, it's so exciting. It sounds so wonderful. What does it take to start your own business? Uh, I'd say above all grit. It's, it's not easy. And it's, it's nice to look at other people who are doing this road and think, you know, I, I can, I can, I want to do that. That sounds so fun. Uh, it's hard at times. It's very, very hard at times. And, you know, we're, I've worked a lot of late night, like last night, you know, I was up till two in the morning. Um, and the night before I was up to two in the morning and, you know, there's, we had, we just lost some contracts. And so I've got 12 jobs on the line. Uh, and I care immensely. I went on a prayer walk with my wife. This was three days ago. And, you know, I'm borderline in, in tears, just thinking about what am I going to do with my staff? Like it's, you know, I never, ever want to be in a position to lay people off. And we have a large emergency fund, but our burn rate is, is high. And um, if, if I wasn't a Christian, frankly, it would have been easy. I, I would have just said, lay off and we're done and we move on. And that's it. And I have a good reason. We lost some contracts. But as a disciple, I don't want to do that um, to people. And having the grit and the hard work ethic uh, and got a lot of prayer, um, God has managed to uh, help me land a new contract. We're totally fixed now in like a week's time, uh, thanks to God. Okay, so you were thinking you're going to have to lay off some people, 12 people, but you already landed another contract. We did, and I wasn't planning on laying them off. I was planning on just eating eating a lot of costs every month um, while we tried to figure this out, but that's a scary place to be. Um, and so we, we literally landed a contract. It was, it's been a whirlwind. It was last Friday, I was in San Francisco, chance encounter over dinner with somebody else, and a week later, as of yesterday, I was up Thursday night, I wrote a contract, I sipped it to them. Friday, they agreed. Monday, my whole team starts. Everybody lost their job in one week. I feel like that's that's God moving, making <laughs> stuff happen like that. That's amazing. Okay, so what you, you, you taught entrepreneurship at Gonzaga. Um, what what three techniques or talents have helped you to self basically self-teach yourself, kind of step into this role? 
how to be successful in, in entrepreneurship? I didn't know when I started all this and I was sort of backed into a corner. I think in hindsight, if I were to do it again and I could tell my myself back then, I would say three things. I would say courage, hard work, and being Christ-like. And, you know, courage, I, I should have, the truth is, I wish, I deeply wish, Rob, I had started my companies earlier, but I lacked the courage to do it. And I don't know if it was God who, you know, had, helped me get laid off, but it was actually one of the best things that has, it is the best thing that's ever happened in my career was getting laid off. And, you know, in Joshua, when God says, be strong and courageous, I, I love that verse. And I, I did, I remember the first time as a young disciple when I read that and I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. But then when it comes to like actually doing it in life, when it's hard, when it's really hard, we don't a lot. And I think we should. And I wish I could tell myself that. Hard work. I, I feel like in Colossians 3, you know, it says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Um, I just believe that. And, and sometimes I feel like as disciples, we think, oh, we just pray about it and then let God answer. No, we pray about it and then we work hard. You know, I, I think the rebuilding of the wall in Nehemiah just resonated with me. Uh, they were very faithful, but they worked hard and worked with a sword in their hand. I don't know why they did it. And uh, that just resonated with me. And lastly, I think Christ, like when it says, um, what is it? Second Corinthians 5, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. I remember the first time I read that as a disciple, and it was like this mind-blown moment. Like, wow, what does it mean to be an ambassador? I am Christ's ambassador. People will become Christians from seeing my life. Uh, and the cool thing about it is not only that I feel like I'm, I'm hopefully impacting people spiritually in my career, but in addition to that, all the things that the Bible tells us and how we imitate Christ makes you a phenomenal business leader because you're a great human being. You're hardworking. You're trustworthy. You're all the things that people want in a, in a business leader. You do it because of Christ, and it just works. Wow. Okay. You know, when I, when I hear your stories go, Oh my gosh, how did this guy get all of this done? You're, you're running five companies simultaneously. It's, you know, the economy it's going through some turmoil right now. Yeah, the it is. Um, Silicon Valley bank went belly up and, and that's right in the heart of the entrepreneurial, the, the tech world. Where do you get all your energy? <laughs> Uh, well, believe it or not, my, my, uh, wife puts me to shame. Um, <laughs> uh, she, so part of this is out of necessity, uh, survival. I got to keep up with her. Um, uh, she, you know, we, we catch a flight to, to Europe here in a few hours and she already this morning, she's like on her eighth task and everything else she's done. Um, so I, I don't know when I, when I married Megan, I, I just really felt like this is, we're going to, this is who we will be, um, as a family. And. Uh, my wife says with our kids, she jokes and she says, we ain't wait, raising no weenies. Uh, <laughs> so they got to they gotta keep up as well. So um, I don't I don't actually know, Rob. I, I feel like we're way more capable as human beings than we actually realize that we are. And if you just start baby steps into I can do this and now I can do that. I, and you believe that you can do more and more. then I believe we can. Wow. OK, so you you touched on ADHD. Is that something that you've been diagnosed with? I've not been diagnosed, although I, I probably would uh, <laughs> if I went there. It's mild. I can stay very focused on a task for a while. But like even right now, I'm, I'm playing with these stim mags as I'm doing it. Uh, it helps me to stay focused. Okay. Okay. Now, you, let's talk a little bit about your European trip. I thought this was so interesting. Can you talk a little bit about it? Sure. Um, so we're... Uh, we leave for Europe today. We're going to be in uh, Spain, France, Greece, and Portugal. 
And the goal was this, you know, this may probably be a once in a lifetime type thing, but we thought our, our kids are getting older. I want to build times and special memories with them, lifelong memories. So the, the plan is let's spend a month in Europe. I'll continue to work Pacific hours. So in the evenings from 5 p.m. to 1 a.m., um, I'll go back to work. So I'm on Pacific hours. Then Megan will homeschool the kids at that time. And we're going to teach them about European history and sites and everything else. She's going to teach them that. Um, and then during the day, we're going to go see all these European sites and history uh, that we're going to. And she's trying to look up uh, different church info while we're out there. So I will also hope to expand their mind of, you know, the church is not Spokane. Um, you know, I want them to realize it's much bigger than that. So we'll see how this goes. We'll either we'll either build lifelong memories or we'll kill each other. <laughs> how <laughs> awesome is that? So you'll be uh, touring during the day, working during the swing shift, and then trying to squeeze in a couple hours sleep late, late yes. early <laughs> in the morning. Okay, that's that, right. That sounds awesome. Okay, what what advice would you give to a small church leader? Let's just shift over there, trying to raise money for missions. Let's let's talk about transferable skills. What what do you see as something that could be helpful? Have you uh, do you know Ray and Stephanie Naden? Yes, I do. You should have them on the podcast. Okay. They're they're phenomenal um, at this. The best I've ever met in my life at exactly this question. Um, they they ha so aside from the the ideas that I won't steal his thunder, but um, they're so good at entrepreneurship, church ideas, and making it all work. I think for me, my answers may not be as clever, um, but I would say number one above all is is just being the persistent widow in prayer, and and I really mean that. I, I feel quite proud to say throughout my Christian walk. I have, I deeply believe in prayer and Megan, and I try to, most nights we try to go on a three mile prayer walk uh, together and it just, it keeps me grounded uh, in, in what really matters. And I feel like God answers prayer. So that may be cliche, but it, it, it needs to be true. I think above all, number two is I feel like just getting creative and, and being scrappy. There, there's so many ways uh, when you think, let's think outside the box, what we do. So for example, like what if you started, uh, you know, a GoFundMe and you start reaching out, there's, you maybe you send a video to another church and uh, local churches and you say, hey, can your church, you know, sponsor us corporately? Here's, here's a video about it all. And if your church won't, would you be willing to just share this video at a Sunday service? And if you won't do that, can you just share it via email? Um, and maybe your members will just on their own want to contribute to a GoFundMe or something like that. And you may be surprised, like Megan and I set aside an extra 5% of our income beyond our tithe for rent. We feel like it's God's money. We don't know what it's for yet. Um, and when we feel like needs that hit our soul, we, we can jump on them. We're in a place to do that. And I think there's probably a lot of people that would be willing to give and just don't know about the need. So a big part of it is getting the words out there and helping people to see and feel it's one thing to give somebody a one sentence elevator pitch. It's another one when you've got a video and I can, I can see what you're talking about. I feel the dream. That is so helpful. Thank you so much. Okay. If you just have a few more minutes, I've just got a couple questions that were brought up sure. from your talking. Okay. Let's talk about quiet times. Let's talk about devotion to God. I mean, I get this so much, people struggling to have quiet times and they're not working 80 hours a week or, or running a business. They're just working a nine to five job, but they complain about, you know, they don't have time. Can you, can you just talk a little bit about that, your approach, your attitude towards your, your walk with God? Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel, uh, I feel like every person, this is my, maybe my business mind, but I feel like every individual and or every household should actually have a, a family motto. 
and it, it keeps your North Star clear in your life. And for us in our household, you know, every one of our kids can quote this immediately, but it's, it's love God, love people, work hard, and don't whine. <laughs> Uh, and I feel like that is not only our family motto, but it, you know, it sets the priorities um, in, in what we're doing as well. And I remember uh, Scott Green preached this sermon when I was a younger Christian. And he said this quote that I, I still remember all these years later. He said, emotions make a terrible leader, but an excellent follower. And I just believe that actually wholeheartedly. I think that's true. And so a lot of the times we don't feel like having our quiet time or reading, or I don't feel like reading. I don't feel like, you know, uh, praying. I don't feel like going to midweek. That literally, that just happened to me last week. I was in between uh, trips. I had all this stuff going on in my businesses. I was on the verge of layoffs. You know, I had all this different stuff that I, I really don't feel like going to midweek tonight. And in those times, I don't lead with my emotions. It doesn't matter what I feel. Um, you know, I, I let them follow. So God gave us the spirit of self-control and you just choose the right thing. So every single morning of my life, I listen to an audio book while I'm getting ready, a spiritual audio book um, of some sorts every morning of my life. It's just routine. Um, then we try to, you know, make, we pray with our kids. Uh, we have a little prayer closet um, in our house that was inspired by you actually, Rob. Uh, and so our kids uh, all go in that together. They read and pray every night. Um, and I try to make time with my wife. In fact, yesterday when we were in the middle of these, these hard decisions, life was super busy and Megan came in and she said, you look like you could go on a prayer walk. And I said, you're exactly right. And the truth <laughs> is I didn't have the time to do that. Right. Um, and I think that's when you just decide you, you keep the priorities. You keep go back to the family motto. That is my top priority. I must make time to wow. do this. That's, that's fantastic. Okay. I, I just finished a book called tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. It's a bestseller from 2022. <laughs> and it just, it's so interesting because it's, it it's about uh, three friends who start a video game company and, and they're right around your age. I mean, it's just so eerie how it, it's, it was a great book. I thought it was so interesting, but it, awesome. it just made me think about, <laughs> about you talking today. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about your faith to not move. I mean, that's mm. that to me is so interesting that it was it was kind of like an Abrahamic type, hey, we've just got to wait until something happens. And this is a lot of times where we make decisions based on expediency rather than by faith. Can you talk a little bit about how scary that is? What like what was going through your mind? Yeah, again, um, I mean, when we came out on the Spokane mission team, and I actually don't, I'm not saying this is for everyone at all. In fact, I think it should not be for everyone. But for me, I, I came to Spokane feeling like this is where I'm going to be for life unless I feel clear that God is, wants to move me somewhere else. And I had never been to Spokane ever um, before the, they, they announced the mission team. And my first impression of Spokane was was Cheney, Washington, which is it's a little tiny college adjoining town, and it's all wheat fields. And I'm a tech enthusiast, and I thought <laughs> I've made a terrible error coming out here. Uh, but I had made that commitment to God, you know, that I'm I'm going to be here as long as you want me here. Um, and so, you know, from the, the twenty, I think there's twenty five of us that came on the mission team, and there's only a couple of us left uh, here, few of us, I think. And so when this happened, I felt like this is, I still felt like this is where God wants me to be. And, and we got to figure out a way to do this unless God totally closes the door. So uh, as we tried these different things, a lot of it was just feeling like it'll, it'll be obvious very soon on whether I get any traction or not. And that's how we're going to let God 
guide us rather than us guide God. Mm. That is so awesome. Okay. You, you talked about your theater and dance <laughs> schooling. You, you, you studied for a couple of years, theater and dance. Now that, did, yeah. that reminds me of Steve Jobs because he went to, I believe it's Lewis and Clark College or Reed College is one of those two in Portland. Yeah, sounds right. Like private liberal arts, super super liberal uh, college there, and he he kind of dropped out, but he really got interested in non functional topics like calligraphy. I mean, he really got yeah. hooked on that stuff, and yet it later paid off in in his building of his company uh, with Apple with all the different fonts that he provided. Do you feel like that your interest in theater, kind of a broader interest, non-technical, has helped you in developing your companies? I do, actually. Um, I feel, I actually love theater. I thought I'd make a career out of it, in fact. I really loved it a lot. And what changed my mind was the the person who ran the drama department had taken a lot of special interest in me, and I really respected her a lot. And she started to kind of handpick these plays for me and say, hey, I want you to, we're going to do this play. I think you'd be great you know, please apply for the audition for the, the lead role. And we had sort of been in this, you know, loop of that. And then she gave me this one play and I go home and I read the play. I'm so excited to do another one. And it was, it was very sensual um, and lewd. And I just, I couldn't do it. And so I came back to her and I just said, I, I, I can't, I can't do this um, in my life. And she's like, why not? And I say, cause I'm a Christian and this is, this is not what I would represent on stage. And she, I remember she looked at me very sternly and she says, Nate, do you want to do theater or not? And that was just, there's like a slap in the face, um, especially from somebody I just respected so much. And I, I thought I, I thought this was my career, like this is what I'm doing. Um, and so I had to really wrestle with that. And, and I came to the conclusion, if that's how it is in this business, and I don't think it is for the record, I think she was wrong, but, but if that's how it is, then no, I guess I don't want to do theater. And so that's what actually caused me to, to change careers and go back this other path. And I'm so glad I did in hindsight. But the skills that I learned from theater, still to this day, I feel like you learn how to master in a lot of ways your emotions and, and master how you speak to people and what you say and when to contain your thoughts and when to let them out. Um, and I think those definitely have helped me in my evangelism. I think they've helped me in public speaking. They helped me in my companies um, in a lot of different ways. And it's not faking. I, I think a lot of theater is is fake, but if you take the skills you learn on how to express yourself and you combine them with authenticity, something powerful can come from that. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, so let, let's talk a little bit about what you're excited about upcoming. What, what, what are your dreams for the future? I mean, it's probably enough just to go to Europe, but what you've got to have <laughs> a lot of plans in the bag. What are you excited about over the next few years? Yeah, I uh, like you, Rob, I, I love, you mentioned earlier how much you love starting something. And, and so do I. I. I really, really love starting things. So the truth is, you know, I, I plan on starting more businesses. And that means I may have to uh, shed or pull away, you know, from some, some other ones. But I, I just, I love starting things. Um, and I think I love starting ministries as well. When we moved into, uh, it was a particular neighborhood um, called the West Plains area here in Spokane. And Meg and I would just pray literally every day um, that God would help us. We wanted to build a ministry in the West Plains area of Spokane. And by the time we left that area, it went from just the two of us. And I think there was maybe 15, 16 disciples that were living out there, including Jermaine and Stephanie. We convinced to, to relocate out there as well. And um, I want to do that again now in this little town that we live in in Medical Lake. I think I, I really want to see what God can do there. 
and I want to employ more disciples um, as well. And we, I just, so right now I employ uh, two disciples in uh, in one company and I'm a partner with the Dice Row and another. Um, so I got three so far. I just hired um, Josh Vett. And uh, so he's moving to Spokane. He's from Oklahoma. Um, and I really want to see, help disciples to see that you can be in business and you can still be a disciple and we can share our faith with our actions and not our words. That's what excites me. Wow. Okay. So when you have conflict with disciples in a business relationship, how do you navigate it? Yeah, good question. Um, we, this uh, is an indirect answer, but I just, unfortunately on, uh, on Friday, yesterday morning, actually, um, I had to fire someone and it was really, really, really hard. And this person was not a disciple, but they had been with me for 10 months. And so not that long yet, but over that time I had, built a friendship with them and a mutual respect and, and trust with them. And um, they were just underperforming in, on the business side of things. And so we got to a point where I said, I put them on a performance improvement plan and um, it, it didn't, it didn't pan out. And so I, the night before I was just, I was just really distraught um, to have to go into this. And so we had a call yesterday morning at 9am and I shared what was happening and we were both, I, I felt like a baby. I, I'm crying, you know, as I'm doing this. We're both crying together. And because he's a friend, you know, that I'm letting go here. Um, but what I did do, and I think what the world doesn't do, is I gave him a very generous um, severance package for only being here for 10 months. And we're I'm paying for his benefits for a lot longer. Um, and I'm trying to help him to find, I think my company is the wrong place for him, but there's places where he can flourish. And so I told him, take the day off, go go get your, you know, your resume or your portfolio. I'm happy to help you. I'm happy to recommend even areas where I feel like you are strong. Um, and I feel like there's a way to love people and still have hard talks and still draw lines. And it is a business and you have to be able to perform in the business at the same time. So one last quick thing, when I hired Ryan Baldwin, who's a disciple, great disciple here in Spokane and um, very, very close friend of mine, my wife and I met him, I don't know, 15 years ago, we studied the Bible with him and his wife. We baptized them. They're now godparents to our kids. Um, and now I've hired him at my company. And I was a little afraid to, because we're so close. Um, and so when I, I told him, you know, Ryan, if, if anything goes wrong in the business, we, we've got to be able to have the hard talks and I've got to be able to take off my friend hat and put on my business hat, right. you know, during those times. And if, if that doesn't work for you, then we, we should not move forward with this at all. Um, and he laughed and he goes, it'll be fun when you fire me. <laughs> and we both laughed. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, we're at a point now where we can have those kind of talks and, um, I think you just be a disciple. Disciples have to have hard talks with other disciples, you know? Right, right. That's, it's such a, such a tricky thing. And if there's conflict in the church, oftentimes it has to do with some type of a financial arrangement or something like that, that, that goes south and then there's bitterness. And so that sounds like a great approach. What strikes me about you, Nate, is that you've maintained really strong boundaries, convictions, and, and, and have not wavered in those particular areas, whether it's leaving the theater world because you, you're concerned about uh, not doing a lewd dance or something like that, or you've decided, okay, this is, I'm not going to compromise. Can you, what's yeah. helped you to, to remain firm in, in a real change, basically a very um, kind of a chaotic startup environment? Yeah. You know, it's, it's sad that God has to earn our trust, but, he does, um, which is incredible to me that he does, that 
almighty God would, would come down and, and earn Nate Chandelier's trust is, is kind of ridiculous, but he has. And, you know, in my, uh, what is it now, 20 year, 20 couple years, 23 years of being a disciple, I feel like again and again and again, even when I'm unfaithful, God still has been faithful. And I just trust him implicitly now. I completely, completely trust him without hesitation. And that has made it so much easier for me during the hard times to just feel like I, I can be surrendered because God has every time proven that he has a plan. And often when it doesn't even, in fact, I'd say the majority of the time when I feel like I thought that this was the plan over here and it's not what I got. And in retrospect, I'm like, God had a better plan, even though it's not the one that I wanted. So he's just earned my trust. I love your attitude. So, uh, so positive, optimistic. Listening to your story, it's almost as if it's just been like a continual path to success. I mean, it's hard to relate to in some ways because of the way you've just taken every challenge. I mean, you've become an evangelist and a, a, a company starter, entrepreneur, and they're successful and you're doing great. What's been difficult for you? Yeah, it's, I mean, the truth is it's easy to come on a podcast like this and share the good times. Uh, if you were to change this podcast and, and ask me to get more into the bad times, there have been plenty. I mean, there was when I was a year old as a Christian and I, I came very, very close to actually taking my own life. Um, and I just started to get very confused spiritually, and I kind of lost my way um, as a disciple. And um, I started to wonder, you know, is is God real or not? And and I definitely have believed this, you know, clearly for the past year. But I, I wonder if I believe it because you know, my there's it, it feels good to believe it, right? It, it's nice. Like, does that make it true? I don't know. And I started to run down this whole path of, of studying Darwinism and all this different stuff. And I thought maybe I'm just believing God because I, I want it to be true. Mm. And it may not actually be true. And amidst all that confusion, um, I, there was one night I, I very much contemplated suicide. And um, I finally got to a point where I, I thought I'm going to work through this and I'm going to put God to the test. And if he's real, then there's some things that I'm going to do and he's going to come through. And over time he has um, again and again and again. And I could share many, many more times of, of when I've been very down um, spiritually and I've had to climb out of it. But every time God was a rock and was able to pull me out of it. And thank you for sharing that. I'm so happy that our paths have crossed again. And in large part, it's been because of your generosity. My daughter, Anne and her husband, Felipe, just recently moved up to the Spokane area because Anne is, is getting her master's up there and Felipe has a job in nursing. But you were so kind to open up your home and your guest house to help them have it like a landing pad. I just want to say thank you so much for being so hospitable to them. Absolutely. We Well, the funny thing is, first off, we believe what, what is ours is God's. I mean, we, we really do. And we try to give back in many different ways. But secondly, uh, it's actually been such a blessing to us to have them here. They're moving out today. And my wife and I were like almost in tears when they gave us the news that they were moving out. We thought, no, don't move out. And uh, we love them so much. Uh, they're the way that they have just thrown themselves in the Spokane Christian church and faithfulness and leading a small group right away. I mean, what you have with your kids is my dream, Rob. And I hope you feel as honored as you should be. I, I want what you have. I sure do. Thank you so much. That's a great compliment. And thanks again for your help. I really appreciate it. You know, I was talking yeah. to Felipe and Anne. They're like, Dad, you got to talk to Nate Chatelier. And <laughs> and I just thought, yes, that's right. Absolutely. And, and so I really appreciate uh, what you've done there. Thanks a lot. Absolutely.
What advice would you give to a person who wants to make this life count? I love that you ask people that question. Um, you know, I mentioned Josh Vett, whom I recently hired uh, from Tulsa, and he he came up and visited. He's joining Dice Room, and he shared. Um, I don't I don't know his parents, but they've been in ministry apparently for a very long time. And um, he he said this quote that it really stuck with me. Um, he said his dad and mom they just left the states and they joined the Revive um, Eastern Europe uh, mission field, and. You know, I don't know how old they are, but they're, I'm sure, somewhat along in years and ministry and everything else. And this quote from his dad was, I don't want to keep telling 30-year-old Christian stories. And I just loved that. Mm. Um, and I think it's easy for me to look back on the past and the things I've done for God that I'm very proud of and to feel like I've checked the box. And now I can focus on me and I can do all these different things. Right. Uh, and I don't want to, I want to tell new stories. I want to make sure my soul is burning. And there have been a lot of times where my soul is absolutely on fire for God. And there's times where the embers are just, you know, staying alive. And I've learned in those times when I, you, you can tell if you take a step back and you ask, am I on fire or are the embers barely lit? And when the embers are barely lit, you got to make a change. Uh, you got to do something different and figure out what that'll be and take a faithful dream to build some new stories for God. That is fantastic. Nate, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for making the time to talk to me. Good luck on your, your trip to Europe, and I know we're going to keep in touch. Thank you. Thanks for all you do, Rob. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening today. Here's how you can help keep this podcast going. First of all, hit the subscribe button and tell your friends. Secondly, read and review one of my books on Amazon, How to Plant and Grow a Church, or Courage, How to Make This Life Count. Thirdly, support the program by going to tucsonchurchofchrist.org and going to the Donate tab. Look for the general fund when you give. Your tax-deductible gift will help me plant five or more churches by 2030. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no-regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day, and make this life count.